Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Umpires 4, the Guardians 3. Oh, I'm sorry. It's the Tigers 4, the Guardians 3. I'm David Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And yes, this one was a hard one to watch unless you're the a fan of... You know, the office in New York overturning calls, umpires, uh, you know, questioning themselves. And the Guardians did not win a single argument yesterday. They didn't, they, they didn't win when it came to the strike zone. They didn't win when it came to calls at the plate. Uh, they didn't win when it came to calls on foul tips. And uh, yeah, every single decision went against the Guardians last night. Now, here's the thing. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's frustrating. And Austin Hedges says it perfectly in his post-game interview, uh, which he knows he's going to get fined for. Everybody was making the jokes on Twitter. He's definitely getting fined for these comments. But it's not cool when New York like takes the game out of the players' hands, right? And when New York makes it about themselves and if, you know, cracking down on whatever rules they want to crack down on. You know, they do this in NFL all the time. They do it in the NBA all the time where they're like, at the beginning of the season, we're, we're really going to crack down on this thing, right? We're, we're going to crack down on, on cornerbacks' contact beyond five yards. And so you get just this rash of, uh, you know, defensive holding penalties and, and illegal contact penalties. In the NBA, they're like, oh, we're really going to crack down on hand checking. So you get a bunch of quick whistles early in the season, and then things kind of seem to settle as the season goes on. Uh, in baseball, this is, I guess, their version of it. I mean, uh, they want to crack down, apparently, on blocking home plate. And Austin Hedges is their latest victim. And the thing is, the thing is, if the umpires on the field can't make that call, because that home plate umpire is specifically instructed to look for that, right? Is a foot blocking the plate? Oh, God, it's technically, by the letter of the law, by the rule that was written, yes, his foot was blocking the base path. But they do it all the time on the other bases, and frankly, he's trying to accept a throw. He's trying to sit there and accept a throw. And I don't know... If you can blame a guy for his foot, I mean, it's one thing to, it's one thing if his whole body was there. It's one thing if he was taking a knee and he was squatted down and that's where he was set up, up the baseline to take that throw. He's set up to take that throw in front of the plate where you want him to be. His body, his bulk is in front of the plate. But he's got his foot there because he has to spin and put a tag down. So, yes, by the letter of the law, yes, his foot was in that zone blocking the plate. I don't think that call should have been overturned. I think they gunned the guy out at home plate. <sighs> so, yeah, and there were other things. I mean, the umpires really, they were squeezing the strike zone on uh, on Zach Plesak. And, frankly, there was one on Jason Foley, too. The reliever for the Tigers came in that looked like he had struck out Stephen Kwan at the bottom of the zone. And uh, it was called a ball. Uh, so, I, you know, some went the Guardians' way. Some didn't go the Guardians' way. Uh, Plesak had two in an at-bat against uh, Tucker Barnhart, where he really thought he struck Barnhart out. 
He really, he dropped a slider in there on the lefty, and it just didn't get called. The next pitch was a changeup in there uh, against the lefty that, oh, was it a changeup or a fastball? There was another one inside. It was like two pitches in a row that he just could not get called uh, on Tucker Barnhart. So, uh, yeah, it was a changeup that came next. It was a little, was a little more off the plate. Here's the thing. Both of those pitches to Tucker Barnhart technically were off the plate, but they were so close. They were right on the edge. We have seen guys get rung up for less. Uh, so, again, technically, looking at baseball savant here, it was the correct call to call those pitches balls. In the heat of the moment in the game, those things are right on the edge. That batter has to protect that strike zone. I'm I'm shocked. I am shocked he didn't get rung up. I mean, as egregious as remember the one that Quan got rung up on in Toronto. These are way closer than that pitch, and uh, he he couldn't pull the trigger. The umpire couldn't pull the trigger and ring up Barnhart in that situation. So we're getting squeezed in the strike zone, and then obviously the ninth inning, the foul tip by Miles Straw that is caught. Um, yeah, again. Uh, he foul tips one down into the glove. Barnhart does on replay. When you zoom in on replay, Barnhart does hang on to it. But the call originally on the field was a foul tip that hit the dirt. You thought Straw had extended life, uh, but then he, they appealed down to the umpires 90 feet, 100 feet away, who say, no, Barnhart hung on to it. I mean, they didn't even go to replay on that one. They just appealed down to another umpire. So... Yeah, we lose that call. Uh, Francona gets tossed from the game at that point because he's had enough. He has to. He has to get thrown out, right? You just have to. You've got, you've got to let the umpires know that they're really, really squeezing us the entire game. Uh, there was the call with uh, Quan trying to steal second base earlier in the game. Where did he swim arm that arm in there? It kind of looked like it on replay. It kind of looks like he gets that arm in there on replay. Uh, they go to replay and they don't get the call. So, yeah, everything went against the Guardians yesterday when it came to the umpires, when it came to New York. And that's a really big mountain to climb. It's frustrating. I get it. I get why Francona got himself tossed. You kind of have to at that point. You kind of have to make a scene, you know, and be noticed, right? You got to be noticed. Now, um,. You know, Sports Center and MLB Tonight and then Baseball Network, MLB Network, they're going to be talking about it because Francona got himself tossed out of the game, right? It'll make some news. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, God, it's frustrating because you, you think you got a guy gunned out at home plate and then he has to go back out there. Obviously, this is the top storyline of the game. Hedges. Said it was the moment that, you know, we they took the game out of our hands, that we lost the game right here in that first inning. Now, do I think you could really lose a game in the first inning? No. There was a lot of baseball that was played after this. The Guardians had opportunities. They had the leadoff man on in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings and only had two solo runs to show for it. So it's not completely like they lost the game in that first inning, but... I mean, the fact that Plesak thinks he's out of the inning, thinks he's survived, uh, and then only to come back and have to face apparently the red-hot Kerry Carpenter. I mean, not only that, 
I mean, it was a wicked bounce that even set up the play at home plate. So, I mean, if you didn't see it, and I can't believe you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the highlights at least, uh, the ball from uh, Castro ricochets off the second base bag. Uh, Tyler Freeman was scooting behind the bag to get this ball in a hop. Unfortunately, the hop hits the corner of the bag, shoots over towards left field. Freeman's able to run it down and kind of make a throw off his back foot home and get enough on it and throws a strike to Hedges, who gets the tag down on uh, Baez trying to score. So it was an incredible play to begin with that's taken out of everybody on the field's hands, and New York makes the call. So they get one run in. Castro is safe. Uh, He moves up to second on the throw, because why not? And then Kerry Carpenter comes in, who apparently now is red hot after being Awful in his Major League debut. Kerry Carpenter is red hot. Works a seven pitch at bat. Fouls off some changeups. Finally, Plesak tries to go fastball high. And Carpenter hammers it. 104 miles per hour. 34 degree launch angle. 429 out to right center field. A two run home run. Literally the next batter. I mean, talk about momentum swings. Talk about momentum swings. You could feel it. You could feel the moment. Plesak had no momentum going back out there on the mound. I'm thinking to myself, does he get warm-up pitches again? Like, it was a long break. What what happens in this situation? Well, what happens is he gives up a two-run home run. So they're immediately out to a 3-0 lead. Uh, The Guardians would start to fight back, though. So, I mean, in the bottom of the first, I loved the Guardians' hustle. I absolutely love their hustle in this first inning. Quan with a leadoff single. Rosario shoots one through the right side, and Quan is on his horse, flying for third base. And, uh, I mean, a strong throw, an accurate throw probably gets him, but that's the reason, part of the reason you run and be aggressive on the base paths. Remember, it's the old adage. They have to catch it, throw it, and catch it again. All you have to do is run. And the throw was kind of what let him down. And the throw was, you know, way off target. And Quan's in there at third base. And it sets up Jose Ramirez, who grounds into a force out. Again, hustle. Hustling down the line. They can't make a throw to first base. He's safe at first base. Uh, brings in Quan to score. So stays out of a double play. Uh, and then Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, Jose Ramirez moves up on a wild pitch. More hustle. Oscar Gonzalez singles into left field. Unfortunately, it's right over Bias's glove, so Ramirez kind of has to hold the bag. He cannot let himself get doubled off there, so he can only advance to third. Gonzalez would then, with a delayed steal on a breaking ball, would steal second base. More hustle there. Sets them up with runners at second and third. One out for Andres Jimenez, who pops out on the infield. Oh, man. And then Owen Miller grounds out to end the threat. So, a lot of hustle there from the top four in the lineup. By the way, I like this lineup. I like Gonzalez hitting fourth and Jimenez hitting fifth. I, this is a strong lineup right here. Much better than what they did the other day where they flip-flopped this and had Owen Miller batting cleanup and pushed Gonzalez down the lineup. Uh, this is much better here. Miller does not belong in that cleanup spot ever again. I know he had some doubles. I know. I know he had some doubles in the Toronto series. I know he had an okay Toronto series, but he really doesn't belong in that cleanup spot. I mean, Gonzalez or Jimenez or Naylor are much, much better options in that cleanup spot. 
without really a true power hitting uh, guy in that cleanup spot. By the way, total tangent, Fermil Reyes had another home run for Chicago. He has been fantastic since they picked him up off waivers. The Chicago Cubs fans are like, how did we get this guy? I saw the comments on Twitter. I, I looked up their game on Twitter and saw some of the comments. And uh, yeah, so that's the power hitter that we thought was going to be in the cleanup spot. That's why the tangent. So now we're working it around, you know, Naylor or Gonzalez. We're going to see who has the most power, who makes the most effective choice there. Uh, Jimenez might make the most effective choice there because he he's a fantastic hitter. And if we just want to stack fantastic hitters in a row and it doesn't matter if it's the cleanup spot, then maybe Andres Jimenez finds himself hitting behind Jose Ramirez uh, when it's all said and done. So a lot of hustle in that first inning. Unfortunately, it only creates one run, and that kind of was a theme throughout the night. Uh, we would set ourselves up in great situations, and it would only lead to one run. They would answer back. They'd hit Plesak pretty hard in this game. How many hard-hit balls does he give up? He gives up 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 hard-hit balls on 103 pitches. He lasts 5 and a third. Gives up 9 hits, 4 and runs. Three walks and only three strikeouts, including the home run. Yeah, he was hit really hard, and he got out of some things because of ground balls. Not many ground balls. It was only four ground ball outs on the day, but they all were key. Two were ground ball double plays that got him out of inning. Another was a grounder to third where Ramirez was able to step on the bag and get him out of an inning. So ground balls did save Plesek on the day from this being a much, much worse day. Uh, They were hitting his fastball. Uh, if I go over to Illustrator here, everything they put in play uh, for a hit uh, was mostly on the fastball. Uh, they put one, two, three, four, five, six fastballs in play for hits, one changeup, and two sliders. Everything above the belt, everything they were hitting was up. It was up at the belly, at the letters. Everything was above the belt pretty much. One slider eh, right at the belt probably to carry Carpenter. That he hits a single off of. So yeah, everything they were hitting was kind of up from Plesak. And uh, going over to his player breakdown page, uh, it's not really pretty numbers. Uh, he threw the changeup the most on the day. 34 changeups, 33 fastballs, 21 sliders, and 15 curves. And yeah, they were hitting that fastball pretty good. They put, of, of 18 swings, zero whiffs on the fastball, only four called strikes, Six foul balls, 12 put in play with an average exit velocity of 91.6. So, yeah, they, I'd say they were ready for Zach Plesek's fastball. I'd say his fastball was a pretty terrible pitch on the night. A 12% CSW on his four-seam fastball. It's not good enough. So he gives up another run in the third inning uh, on back-to-back hits, but then actually is able to put up zero somehow. I mean, and then the bullpen comes in. De Los Santos goes an inning and two-thirds. Uh, it gets uh, Plesak out of that uh, sixth inning and then pitches the seventh and somehow is able to put up zeros with a lot of people on base. Uh, Henches has a, has a tough uh, eighth inning. He has two guys on base, but he's able to get out of it. Um, and then uh, Nick Sandlin... Uh, is able to get through a really, really nice ninth inning with two strikeouts on 15 pitches. Uh, it's a good job by uh, Sandlin. He has actually come on strong since coming back uh, from 
uh, from uh, AAA. He, Sandlin has pitched really good since he's come back. So they found something mechanically down there that is working for Sandlin. All right. So, uh, yeah. So the, the Guardians are able to put up a lot of zeros uh, and give themselves a chance to get back in the game. So the seventh inning, uh, you know, they start things off. Uh, Freeman, I believe, uh, reaches on a fielding error. It just, it's just the first baseman, Castro, just misses the ball. Just lets it go right past his glove. It wasn't a bad throw by Baez. Uh, Harold Castro just doesn't catch it. Uh, I think, I, I felt like Owen Miller made a similar play earlier in the game where he had a chance to catch one and he just it hit off his glove. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in the highlights. I couldn't find it searching through the MLB app or Baseball Savant. I, I don't know if this is just, you know, I, I do you remember it? Does anyone out there, do any of the morning people remember Owen Miller dropping one as well earlier in the game? I feel like both, because when Castro makes this play, I'm thinking to myself, both first basemen have drop balls, just straight up drop balls on this day, which is weird to see. I mean, they're kind of kind of have one job out there, and that's to catch the ball at first base. Uh, so they get the leadoff guy on in the seventh inning. Uh, Austin Hedges, uh, would Freeman steal here? How would he move up? Right, so on the error, he's able to advance to second base. Uh, and then Austin Hedges with a deep fly to uh, center field. Hedges gave it a ride, 97.8 miles per hour. It only had an expected batting average of 370, though, and it's run down. It does allow Freeman to move up to third. And then uh, Miles Straw would ground out to second base, and it would bring Freeman into score. So they scratch across a run there, but you'd like to see you'd like to see a rally. Uh, and uh, this is when Quan was thrown out stealing. He's able to single to keep the inning going, but he's called out stealing uh, second base. So that's the one that they challenged, uh, but the call was upheld. So that was your seventh inning. It means Ahmed Rosario would lead off the eighth, and he would lead it off with a triple, a triple. Ahmed Rosario is hitting triples in progressive field. That doesn't happen. You you don't hit triples in progressive field, but he does it. Hits it into center field, hits it into that corner in center field and gets a nice bounce, and he is just off. I mean, off and running, no doubt in his mind that he is legging out a triple on this play. Now, we always talk about where Ahmed Rosario is in hits, and he is eighth in all of baseball right now in hits. He is third in the American League behind Jose Abreu, Luis Arise, and then Ahmed Rosario. But when it comes to triples, he is leading Major League Baseball in triples now with seven, right above Gavin Lux from the Dodgers, who has six. So, I mean, it's pretty incredible. A progressive field, not a triples park. And he is able to leg out a triple here to kick off the inning. Jose Ramirez follows it up with a nice single up the middle uh, that brings him into score. So we, we've cut this down now. We've added runs in the seventh and the eighth. This is a one-run game. Uh, unfortunately, Oscar Gonzalez would strike out. Andres Jimenez would pop out again uh, in foul territory. Josh Naylor would come in as a pinch hitter. But he would ground out to Jonathan Scope playing a shallow right field. I mean, the second baseman was way, way out there on the grass. Uh, Naylor looked like he was trying to hit the ball to the moon in his first swing. He does end up hitting this ball at 105 mile per hour exit velocity. 
had a 560 expected batting average, but nobody expects the second baseman to be standing where Jonathan Scope is. So unfortunately, the rally comes to the end right there. Uh, and then after uh, after Sandlin goes in and does a really good job in that ninth inning, facing a tough part of the lineup. I mean, Castro, Harold Castro was locked in on the day. I mean, this was the part of the lineup that was doing all the damage. He strikes out Baez. Castro was three for five on the three for five on the day. In going into that bat, he was three for four with two doubles, and he gets him to line out to Tyler Freeman, who makes a nice leaping catch. And then Kerry Carpenter, who was two for three uh, on the day with two walks and uh, the home run and a single, uh, he gets him to strike out here in the ninth inning. So, like I said, good job by Sandlin, and it sets us up again. Tyler Freeman leading things off. Now the bottom of the order has to do it. Frankly, this was the only hit from the bottom of the order. This was the only hit from batters five through nine. It's this Tyler Freeman double to kick off the ninth inning. Every other hit, Quan was three for four. He was on base four times from the leadoff spot. Rosario had two hits. Ramirez and Gonzalez each had a hit. All the hits came from the top of the lineup until Tyler Freeman hits this double down into the corner. Uh, he absolutely smokes this ball. It was the hardest hit ball of the game at 108 mile per hour exit velocity. That's right, little Tyler Freeman. I mean, he's not little, but he's not a big, bulky guy like Benson or Gonzalez. He has the hardest hit ball of the day. Uh, Austin Hedges, they leave him in to sack bunt, move the runner over to third. You're pl- literally playing for one run here. You're just trying to tie this thing up and move it into extras. Now, here is where... You know, we talk so much about the umpires kind of blowing the game. Here's where I think Francona blows the game. Because he leaves Miles Straw in to face Gregory Soto. Straw is awful in these situations. Going over to his, uh, his baseball reference page, in games where the Guardians are within one run, he's a 164 hitter. With a 450 OPS. In games where uh, it's late and close. His, these are his clutch stats on baseball reference. In games where it's late and close. He's a 167 hitter with a 529 OPS. In the leverage situations. In high leverage situations. He is a 139 hitter with a 423 OPS. And you leave him in the game with a runner on third base, one out in the bottom of the ninth inning when a one-run game, you leave Miles Straw in there? You've got Benson. You've got Jones. You even got Luke Maley on your bench. And you leave Straw in there to face Soto. Now you're saying, but Davey, Soto, the left-hander, well, you're not going to put a left-hander in off the bench to face the lefty closer, are you? Well, these are numbers readily available to Terry Francona in a limited sample size, only 47 plate appearances. Left-handed hitters are actually hitting better than right-handed batters. It's slight. In 133 plate appearances for righties, they're hitting 204 off Soto. Lefties are hitting 231. Righties have a 612 OPS. Lefties off the left-handed pitcher have a 669 OPS. It's slight. It's a slight difference, but it's not to say that this left-handed pitcher dominates left-handed hitters when he gets the chance. They actually hold their own. So yeah, 
I know Jones is a bit of a strikeout candidate at this point, and Benson doesn't have many at-bats. Uh, but, I mean, you honestly, I'd rather see Luke Maley hit in that situation. I have way more confidence in Luke Maley coming up with a hit than I do with Straw. I'm sorry, I don't even want to burn through your backup catcher, but we needed anybody up to bat except for Miles Straw in that situation. He leaves Straw in, and what does he do? He strikes out on the foul tip. Frankly, it was the right call. I mean, Barnard did hold on to the ball. I know it was a total cluster on the field, but technically, uh, he did hold on to it. All right, so Straw strikes out. It brings up Quan, who, like I said, had he had been on base every time he was up in this game. He was 3-for-3 three three with a walk going into this at-bat, and he gets him to chop one right back to the pitcher's mound. Ugh. Quan uh, just can't come through. It's a sinker down the middle. It's a really hittable pitch. It's just at 98.7 miles per hour, and he grounds it back to the pitcher. So, unfortunately, Quan doesn't have one more hit up his sleeve, uh, and the game ends there. Uh, Soto gets the ground out to get out of it. So, this one sucked. This one absolutely sucked. And we give up ground in the American League Central, and we now have a single-game lead over the um, White Sox and the Twins, who are still both on our heels. Um, good news is, this is a four-game series. Right now, we're down 2-1. to one. We have a chance to go out there and win and beat the Tigers and even this thing back up, make it a 2-2 split on the series. We have not lost. You've heard me say this so many times. We've not lost series since the All-Star break, and I'd like to keep that going. It's fun to say. I'd like to keep that going. It's the reason we have taken the lead in the American League Central here. The Twins are playing at 1 o'clock, so we'll already know what they have done. Uh, The White Sox play after us at 8 p.m. We have the 7 o'clock start. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what goes down today. You know, what do the Twins do with that 1 o'clock game? I'll be keeping my eye on that for sure. Uh, so, yeah, the Guardians still have a chance to take care of business against the Tigers, split the series. I know. I know we should be sweeping the Tigers. We should be taking three out of four against the Tigers. But what's done is done. You can't go back, no matter how many fire interviews Austin Hedges gives uh, you know, in the clubhouse, we can't go back and change the results of this game. It was a fire interview. I'm going to tweet it out when I tweet out the episode. And, uh, I mean, Hedges gave a a WWE-esque performance on the microphone right there. It was a heck of a promo. And, uh, yeah, it's not going to change it, though. It's not going to change the fact that uh, Detroit has this game in a W in their books. So all we got to do is go out there, and we've got to let this – we've got to take this moment and let it bring us together. Right in the clubhouse, they've got to let this moment solidify them as a team, solidify their resolve to win this division. They've got to use this as fuel in their playoff run. It can go either way. A, a game like this could unravel a team, right? Tear them apart, or it could bring them together, it could solidify them. It can go either way, and we'll find out as soon as they take the field today, tonight. They've got uh, Quantrill on the mound, and we know he feeds off energy on the mound. So they really need, I mean, this is the time where you have a team meeting, and, uh, you know, 
You win in spite of the umpires. You win in spite of New York. You win in spite of the national media that doesn't think you belong, you know, winning a division. So we'll see if this team comes together around this. This could be one of those moments when they do the documentary about the 2022 Guardians, the first season as the Guardians franchise. This definitely could be one of those moments. That's a make or break moment in that documentary. So we'll see what happens when they take the field. I hope they feed off it. I hope they do. Uh, you know, it's a it's a little bit dark. I know it's a little bit dark. It's a little bit dark side. If you're uh, you know if you're a Star Wars nerd like me, uh, yeah, it is feeding into anger, feeding into the darkness a little bit, a little bit. But hey, uh, you know, it's bulletin board material. You got you got to work with what you're given. And uh, if this is what they rally around, you know, winning in spite of the umpires and in spite of New York, then hey. That's fine by me. Uh, whatever pushes them across that finish line in first place. So that's all my thoughts on this one. MVP on the day. Um, man, how could I not give it to Quan? Uh, I mean, Quan was on base four times at the top of this game, uh, really doing everything he can uh, to try to make stuff happen at the top of this lineup. He did have a stolen base. Uh, he gets thrown out, unfortunately, on a second attempt, and it was very, very close. Uh, oh, sorry, I take that back. He does not have a stolen base on the day. Gonzalez has the only successful stolen base on the day. He had the hustle play going to third base. So I think Quan, I mean, how can you not? Guy now is hitting over 300. How could you not give it up for MVP on the day for a performance like that at the leadoff spot? So unfortunately, ah, man, that final at bat. Uh, he has a chance and just can't get it done. So that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Progressive Field. It was the Detroit Tigers 4. It was the Cleveland Guardians 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. You got to have thoughts, morning people. Come on, where are you at? You have to have thoughts on the umpires on this game. Let me know and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.